Welcome to our worship from Seal Church, led by me, Canon Anne Labar. The hymn which ends the service is sung by the choristers of St Martin in the Fields. Let us pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let your merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants, and that they may obtain their petitions, make them to ask such things as shall please you, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and for ever. Amen. The first reading comes from Isaiah chapter 58, beginning at verse 9. You shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness, and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your needs in parched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honourable, if you honour it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The Gospel reading is from Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 10. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for eighteen years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done, Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing.
In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. I wonder how you feel about Sundays, the Christian Sabbath. It might depend on your age, of course. In my childhood in the 1960s, most shops were closed on Sundays and there weren't all the Sunday sports activities there are now. But the really strict Sabbath observance had mostly disappeared. No playing, no hanging out of washing. I remember Sundays as a quieter day than normal, a different day, including church in my case, but not a solemn or a boring day. That may be partly because I was quite happy with my own company, with my nose in a book. But even so, looking back, I wonder whether it might have been the high point in Sabbath observance. Preserving a sense of rest, but not in a repressive way, at least not in my family. Some of you may recall much stricter Sabbath observance, or if you're younger than me, you may never have known a time when this day was much different from all the rest. At the time of Jesus, the Sabbath was a major preoccupation of religious experts. The rules surrounding the Sabbath were a distinguishing feature of Jewish society, setting it apart from the nations around it. But the trouble with rules is that as soon as you make them, people will start arguing about them, finding complications, asking for exemptions. Take the hosepipe ban. Hosepipe use is banned at the moment here, unless you can't run your business without using one, or have animals to care for, or in some cases if you're disabled. But who draws the line between those who can and can't? Does washing the mud off your dog count, or is it only hosing down an elephant which exempts you? And who polices this? Would you report your neighbour for using a hosepipe on their run of beans? And how should it be enforced? By fines from the police or by naming and shaming on Facebook? Rules soon turn into minefields. And that was just as true of the religious experts of Jesus' time. Carrying things was classed as work, for example. But did carrying a chair across a room count? They couldn't agree. And you couldn't travel. But how far couldn't you travel? You needed to get to the synagogue after all. In the story we heard in the Gospel, Jesus runs up against one of those religious experts, the leader of the synagogue, who'd invited him to speak one Sabbath day, presumably curious about this travelling preacher everyone was talking about. But whatever the synagogue leader had expected, he got far more than he bargained for. A woman turned up who'd been ill for 18 years, bent double by some disease. Her disability must have made normal life very hard. She couldn't even look people in the eyes when they spoke to her, and it's quite possible that they shunned her anyway. Disease and disability were often regarded as punishments from God, so her neighbours might have thought that she'd done something to deserve this. Anyway, it's clear that she wasn't going to put, push herself forward, she was used to being on the sidelines. It was Jesus who called her to him, laid his hands on her and lifted her up to standing again. The crowd were amazed and delighted, whatever they'd privately felt about this woman before. But the synagogue leader couldn't see the wood for the trees. It was the Sabbath, 
Healing was work. Work was forbidden on the Sabbath. Jesus had broken the law. The fact that a desperate woman's life had been transformed seems to have meant nothing to him. We're told that he kept saying to the crowd that they should all have come on another day if they wanted healing. He kept saying it. You can almost hear the panic rising in his voice. But Jesus stuck by what he'd done. He stuck by this woman. The law permitted people to take their livestock to find food and water on the Sabbath, he said. So why should it forbid the healing of a human being in need? In fact, Jesus went further than that. He didn't just believe he was allowed to heal on the Sabbath. He believed that this was just what he ought to be doing, what the Sabbath was for. Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from bondage on the Sabbath? His opponents were put to shame by his answer, we're told, perhaps because at some level they recognised that his answer was firmly rooted in the Hebrew Scriptures. The Bible said that the Sabbath had been given by God to the people of Israel as they trekked through the wilderness with Moses after their deliverance from slavery in Egypt, where they'd probably never have known rest at all. But the gift of the Sabbath not only gave them a precious break from work, it also reminded them that they shouldn't use their newfound freedom to exploit others as they'd been exploited. It was profoundly countercultural. The aim of most nations at the time was to expand. But how could you build a vast empire if you kept stopping to do nothing every seventh day? You couldn't even properly defend your borders. The Sabbath, in a sense, set a limit to Israel's power, and that was quite deliberate. It was a weekly reminder that their true worth didn't depend on their productivity or their achievements or their conquests. It came from God, who loved people as they were, productive or not. Even God's own value wasn't located in what he did, according to the book of Genesis. God had created the world in six days, but on the seventh day he ceased from his work. Now, I'm sure he hadn't run out of ideas, but when he looked at what he'd made in those six days, he knew that it was enough. It was good enough, rich enough, diverse enough. He didn't feel the need to labour on and on, heaping up creation, striving after more. What he wanted was for it to be enjoyed, treasured and shared as the blessing he meant it to be. The Sabbath was meant to be a weekly reminder of that first perfection and a weekly foretaste of how God meant his world to be in the future when all that was broken would be healed. The Sabbath wasn't just a time to give tired bodies and minds a rest, although that's very valuable. It was meant to be a glimpse of a world made right, the goal of our work on all the other days. That's why the prophet Isaiah, in our first reading, links the Sabbath to justice and righteousness. You can't expect to have a good Sabbath if you ignore those who are hungry and afflicted, if you speak evil of others, if you just pursue your own aims. That's why Jesus could so confidently say that healing this woman on the Sabbath wasn't just permitted, it was compulsory, exactly what the Sabbath was meant for. 
This little story, then, packs a big punch. It asks us what we think we are here for, what our labours are for, what our lives are for. It challenges our priorities and casts a light not only what we do on this day, on the Sabbath, but what we do in the rest of the week too. God calls us to catch a glimpse of heaven on the Sabbath, the heaven we've been working with him to build in all the other days. So where will we spot God at work today? And how will we join in with him in it? Amen. And so as we bring our prayers to God, we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.